number of years ago, a beloved spiritual teacher who was well known for their kindness and compassion was leading a retreat. And on this retreat, part of it involved one of the practices was yoga. And there was on the periphery of the main retreat area, a bunch of chairs. And there was one participant, a woman in her late 50s, early 60s, who during the yoga portion of the retreat stayed seated in her chair and didn't join the rest of the folks on the yoga mats. During the check-in that evening, she didn't raise her hand to talk until very near the end of the hour. And she kind of timidly got her hand up and said, I really want to. I really, I, I really want to do the yoga, but, but, but I just can't. I, I just can't. I want to do the yoga, but, but I can't. I can't. And the spiritual teacher who was leading the retreat responded, not harshly, but bluntly, how do you know what you can do? And there was like shock in the room because everyone was expecting, oh, you know, kind words, compassion, it's okay. And just said, how do you know what you can do? And that kind of ended it. Next day, retreat starts back up. Yoga portion, woman who was seated on the periphery in the chairs, gets onto the yoga mat. Does the yoga with everyone else. That night, check in. First person to raise her hand. Said, I got to tell you, I was, I was totally shocked looking the retreat leader right in the eyes. I was totally shocked when you asked me that question. And at first I didn't like it. And then I asked myself that question. How do I know what I could or couldn't do? And it turns out I could do the yoga. And at this point, she started to get tears in her eyes looking right at the retreat leaders. Thank you. Thank you. And then with a little grimace, she said, and fuck you. <laughs> so, um, just because one F-bomb is not enough, thank you and fuck you was the original title of this message. <laughs> but I push it enough around here with the language, so I didn't want that staring out at you the entire time. <laughs> I thought of this story. In connection with today's Spirit Flicks movies, this new series that Reverend, I, Reverend Lee and I will be doing throughout the summer about finding the spiritual messages in movies and actually in other forms of popular media as well this summer. I thought of this story about how life and other people can wake us up sometimes even in spite of what we want, sometimes even in rude ways, sometimes in ways that shock us. And yet through this waking up opens up something in us that save for the wake up call we might never have explored. So the Spirit Flicks movie for today is this little indie feature, and this is who the characters are. The main characters is me, Earl, and the dying girl. The me, that's Greg in the middle. On his left, that's Earl, and the dying girl is Rachel. Now, uh, what's the, the, the Fault in Our Stars? Remember that a few years ago? Big, huge hit. This movie is much better. <laughs> it's odder, it's funnier, and it is sadder and stayed with my heart a lot since I saw it about five days ago. So Greg in the middle there, he's he's an he's your typical awkward teenager wanting to fit in, but not really wanting to fit in. 
wanting to find his place, but wanting to stay on the periphery, not wanting to share, not wanting to get too vulnerable. He reminds me of actually another guy named Greg, a guy named Gregory Kramer, who is the primary teacher. You can see this on meta.org, M-E-T-T-A dot org, if you wish, of something called Insight Dialogue, which is an interpersonal form of mindfulness, which if I described would leave it completely lacking as a practice because it is a practice. So suffice it to say, Insight Dialogue is about letting drop the stories we all carry around with us and sharing with each other interpersonally in some profoundly transformative ways, as I've experienced, presence with each other. That presence arising out of a number of different kind of framing contemplations to bring us into dialogue, one of which, drawn directly from the Buddhist tradition, uh, is the hunger not to be seen. Maybe you recognize this one yourself. Sometimes many of us, we have the hunger to be seen, which is also something that can bring uh, suffering and challenge. But the hunger not to be seen, maybe not to have your flaws exposed, whatever it is, the hunger not to be seen. That's what Greg here is all about. He does what he needs to do, kind of flitting through high school life in his uh, school where he is in Pittsburgh, kind of playing the game a little bit where he will visit each of the tribes throughout the school and kind of drop in the kind of a knowing word to ingratiate himself and then move along real quickly. He thinks this will keep him safe. But then, because this is a movie that has to have some dramatic tension, that bubble starts to be burst because his parents command, and his parents are kind of latent hippie types, so they don't command a lot, but they command that he must go see Rachel, a neighbor who has just been diagnosed with leukemia. And Immediately, Greg starts to recognize that this kind of playing it cool, staying on the periphery of things, he is not nearly as smooth as he thinks he is because we see it in an immediate flashback, that one of his passing by situations, he overhears Rachel before he knows that she's sick, in the halls, confiding to a friend, saying these words, tomorrow's my test and I'm really worried. And of course, he thinks it's like an English test. And he says, yep, I hear that too. And then he recognizes that was not the test she was talking about. She was talking about the test that would reveal that she has leukemia. So Earl, the other main character up here, Greg can't even call the person that he's known since kindergarten a friend. He calls him his coworker. <laughs> now, the work that they are co-at is remaking classic movies into low-quality shorts, such as A Sockwork Orange, which, yes, includes three menacing-looking socks and a glass of orange juice that raises up in their midst. Anatomy, not of a murder, but of a burger. Eyes Wide Butt is another one of them. So this is actually one of the things that ingratiates uh, Rachel and Greg to each other because they're both kind of out of the mainstream. Him because he doesn't want to expose himself too much. Her because, well, let's face it, leukemia right in the midst of teenage years. It happens, but it doesn't happen to many kids. And so she's kind of on the outside. The issue for Greg is that the minute he starts to make connections with her, his cocoon pops. He starts to be seen. He says at one time, sitting in the lunchroom, which he has completely avoided for years, because Rachel has asked him to be in the lunchroom in high school with him, eight years of carefully cultivated invisibility gone. (laughs) He starts to be seen. 
it's not that Greg doesn't care. Actually, he cares a great deal. It's just that he is afraid of vulnerability. It's just that he's afraid of exposure like many of us. And so he thinks, perhaps also like many of us, that if he, you know, has his own small story in mind, it'll keep him safe. If he just hews to staying on the side of everything, he'll be all right. But of course, it doesn't make him happy. And it doesn't really keep him safe from the larger truths of life. This is what many of us can struggle with. The small stories that we think will keep us safe. But ultimately, life is bigger than all small stories. One of the things I liked about this movie very much is that Rachel has her own integrity. She's not just there to help Greg awaken. She's the person who kind of first pops that bubble of thinking the small stories will keep us safe. She loses her hair because of chemo. And everyone, you know, is telling her how great she looks and she wears great hats and the wigs are awesome. And Greg participates in this as well, too. But she says to Greg, everyone feels they have to lie to me and they have no idea how insulting that is. They think they're helping, but they're not. When she's asking Greg here, wake up, please. Wake up to the truth of my life here, please. Wake up because the cost to me of not, you not being awake is this. I feel more lonely and I feel more isolated. This is what happens when we live inside of our small stories and won't let those bubbles be popped. The truth is waking up for many of us can be a deeply startling thing. I know this from my life. I'm sure many of you know this as well, too. And I am so grateful for those who have woken me up by accident or intention. One of the great traditions for waking us up, as I've experienced, is then Buddhist tradition. Now, we have this weird thing in the West, especially those of us who are white in the West, to be honest, of, of kind of labeling everything as Zen as, as peaceful. You know, hashtag peaceful Zen. Beautiful day. This is so Zen. Well, the scholars would say, actually, that's what they, what's called Orientalism, which is making everything kind of foreign or Eastern into something peaceful, something that serves us. And, and by the way, it's not the truth of the Zen tradition at all. The Zen practitioners I know are some of the most gutsy, peaceful people I know. And it come from a tradition in which the meditation masters will walk around the hall with sticks to give you a whack because they want you to wake up. So this Zen story is very much a Zen story, not hashtag peaceful Zen. It comes from a man named Chodo Campbell. Chodo is this honorific. He, with his husband, are the co-founders of one of the most holy places I know on this earth, the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care. They train, they equip, they practice with people who are working with the dying and who are dying themselves. And Chodo Campbell tells the story about one of their students who would soon become one of their clients. She had just gotten a cancer diagnosis, and by the time he told the story, she was already dead. One day, the student was walking down 2nd Avenue in New York City, fairly tony, you know, well-to-do part of town. And she saw a woman with a stroller in front of her, a baby carriage. And the woman, it wasn't like really uh, abusive, but, you know, she was like jostling the baby, like looking for something in the carriage and like really kind of mindlessly and also with a sense of distress as well, too, and tears coming down her eyes. And, you know, sometimes the truth of, well, the stereotype of New York City is the truth of New York City and people are just passing her by. But this student 
didn't. And the student of Chodo Campbell stopped and she looked her directly in the eye and she said, Honey, honey, what's wrong? And the woman, through her tears and her snottiness, said, I've, I've, I, I can't find my iPhone. <laughs> and this student, this woman said, Honey, I've just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. What are your priorities in this moment? And the woman who had been jostling the baby looking for the iPhone, she was shocked for a moment and she stepped toward the woman who had the terminal cancer. She said, no, I don't, I don't need a hug from you. Maybe hug your baby instead. Now, you might find this story obnoxious. I do a little bit. But I think that's its value. All of us can miss real life when we get lost in our small stories. It's just like the teacher in the first story. Sometimes a potent question gets us to reframe our experience, gets us to think outside of the small story, opens up the heart asking us this question, am I seeing, am I attending to, am I befriending? Am I listening to my life or just passing it by in a dream state? Many of us, I know I do. I know absolutely I do. Need those who by accident, incident, or intention wake me up. Something that points at that larger picture that is life. I think actually one of the best reasons to be part of spiritual community. Because <laughs> if we really listen to each other, we will hear these stories that life that involves us, that is us, of which we're a part, is so much bigger than just us alone. And by the way, this sense of moving beyond our small stories to connect in the larger story has absolutely nothing to do with dismissing the integrity of our own stories. It's the opposite. It means actually paying attention to the depth of our stories and looking for the ways they connect. This past week, I just finished up a small group called Changing Our Hearts to Change the World. And one of the things in this small group was based on the heart practices, loving kindness, meditation, compassion practice that starts sequentially with first paying attention to our own hearts, our own struggles, our own stories, and then gradually moving out and building the connections, even to the point that we aspire to hold the world in our very own hearts. One of the people, and she gave me permission to share this story, talked about how she had really lived most of her life not really paying attention to, you know, her own struggles, her own sufferings, and certainly not meditating on them, not with compassion, because she didn't think they were that much of a big deal. But something happened over the eight weeks as she turned towards her own struggles, her own sufferings, her own challenge. She found that naturally by directing compassion towards herself, it opened up greater compassion towards everyone else. Friends, this is spiritual gold. 
This is the heart that opens. This is, I think, what Alice Walker was talking about when she said, how do many of us come to know God, the the bigger picture, the broader perspective? She said, I think it was in the color purple, one of her characters. I think it might have been Seely. Pain does it. Opens the heart. Cracks us open. Gives us to pay attention. Uh, You know, it's everything Jessica said at the start when she preached my sermon before I did today. (laughs) Well done. This movie reminded me. This movie reminded me of when I was in camp. 11, 12 years old. I can't quite remember. And uh, I, big, big time air quotes here, went out with a, a girl. Um, which included, you know, me going up to her one day at lunch and saying, would you like to go out? And she said, sure. And then the next day her best friend came up and said, she doesn't want to go out with you anymore. And I was like really bummed and finished the rest of my tater tots the next day in the mess hall and then went to archery and everything was fine. Um, (laughs) see the most of my romantic life for the next 10 years as well, too. I moved on with the rest of my summer, my life, fine. Until that winter. We got a note from the camp. Our parents did first, and then they shared it with us, the kids. That this girl, I can't even remember her name. I actually reached out to the camp a couple days ago when this memory was coming up. Didn't get an answer yet. Can't remember her name. To me, she's kind of like what Charlie Brown's little redhead girl. She was the little brown-haired girl with great freckles all over her face. Sometime that winter, this girl got leukemia. And ten weeks later, was dead. She was the first person to bust open my heart. To show me how fragile all of this is. And how anything can happen at any moment. And because things happen out of the blue, we can also enter into that wide blue space called this life that connects us and makes us love more deeply. This recognition of this fragility, by the way, from the girl with the brown hair and the freckles. She's not a character in my story. What she did was leave an imprint right here on my heart. If we allow it, life will leave imprints on our hearts. But we have to be willing to wake up. So I shared this poem called either Lead or Lead. I have no idea how to pronounce it. It's one or the other from Mary Oliver, the great poet of our tradition. And she starts fairly blunt way, like good teachers do. Here is a story to break your heart. Are you willing This winter, the loons came to our harbor and died one by one of nothing we could see. A friend told me of one on the shore that lifted its head and opened the elegant beak and cried out in the long, sweet savoring of its life, which, if you have heard it, you know is a sacred thing. And for which, if you have not heard it, you had better hurry to where they still sing. And believe me, tell no one where that is. The next morning, this loon, 
speckled and iridescent and with a plan to fly home to some hidden lake, was dead on the shore. I tell you this to break your heart, by which I mean only that it break open and never close again to the rest of the world. I tell you this to break your heart, by which I mean only that it break open and never close again to the rest of the world. I'm not going to give it away because it's a really good movie if you haven't seen it. But in one of the bleakest parts of the movie, one of the most challenging parts of the movie, and this is part of the movie in which you see also the skillfulness of the movie because it kind of mirrors all those silly, silly movies that you know Greg and Earl make. Well, they actually take it upon themselves to make a real movie for Rachel. And just in the way the larger movie starts out goofy and moves to something deeply serious and sacred, Earl and Greg share that movie with Rachel. And rather than riffing off of someone else's story and creating their small story, they create a story that has integrity for them. It's really cool. It's weird because they're weird guys. It's all about the kind of uh, turning pillows inside out and seeing the stuffing come out and the emergent things. And I think it's pointing out that all this stuff that's around us, it all has this depth of meaning if we pay attention to it. But the most powerful part of it, of this little movie, are the faces. Earl and Greg and Rachel's mom who's kind of a sad alcoholic who's losing her daughter. It's just slow motion pictures of these faces beloved to Rachel, smiling, laughing, drinking a soda. It is terribly sad and terribly lovely and above all else, terribly real. This is what it means to open the heart's eyes and to wake up and to see with the eyes of our heart. So yes, I absolutely believe that by accident or incident or intention, the best wake-up calls are not requested because they break open the heart. They are the best because they remind us of the buried treasure that all of us are walking around every day with if only we would allow ourselves to see it. Today, as best you can, allow your heart to break. Allow your heart to open. Wake up and unearth who you are, who I am, who all of us are. Let's wake up. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together, please. Larger life, God beyond imagination, even beyond the word. Recognizing that all our stories combined all together and that sacred extra something that unites them. This is life. This is life as it has always been. This is life as it always will be. Which is to say it's life right here and right now, not separate from it. And yet so often we live as if we are separated alone. May we give thanks. 
for all of those who push and prod and pull, sometimes beg, ask, because they love us. Wake up. Listen to the great song. Join the great song. Remember that we are all the great song. Amen.